My name, as most of you are aware, is Chris Townsend. My wife, Sarah, who would traditionally be seated in the front row, has been out of town for a couple weeks. <laughs> I miss her. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing that we get to talk to one another all the time, but still miss her greatly. She, right now, is back in Arizona. She's in the Valley of the Sun, suffering under the sun. Today, it's predicted to be 116 degrees, and it will be raining. That just doesn't sound right. But we all know that Arizona's hot this time of year. That's just the way it is. People say when it's, it's a dry heat. Don't worry about it. Believe me, anything above 110 is hot. Just period. Don't let anybody fool you with that dry heat. But we love the beauty of Arizona. This picture was taken as we walked out the front door to walk our dog one day, and we just love the beauty that Arizona has. And Sarah is at our home in Arizona, Sun City, Arizona, actually. And this morning, she's online worshiping with us right now. Hi, Sarah. But she'll later be going to Hope Church, which is our home church in Phoenix that we worship at when we're in town. Hope Church is in the same LCMC association that Faith is. And one of the unique things about Hope Church is that they do weddings there. Last year, they did 62 weddings at the church. That's a busy place. Imagine that, 62 weddings. But it's a beautiful site. It was actually developed for that purpose to host weddings. So it's a blessing to be part of a church that has this gift from God to have 62 Christian weddings at its location in this past year. I hope that microphone won't do what it did two weeks ago and keep doing that, but we'll see. But my hope is that we can be people that love Christian weddings. Some of you are going to them this summer. My hope is that it's not just a Christian wedding, but it's a Christian marriage. So you might have a beautiful wedding, but I pray it's an unimaginably beautiful uh, marriage, and that's the important part. I keep my brothers and sisters at Hope Church in prayer as I keep you in prayer. I use the Breeze app that I was given here uh, for the faith community. Many of your pictures are on it and the information. Thank you for that gift. It allows me to be praying for you, and that is a blessing. And I pray as Christians, we realize how blessed we are that first and foremost, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he offers us unending grace, that he just wants to love us in and through his kingdom each and every day. And I pray that because of that, we have this loving Christian community called Faith Lutheran that is loving one another as well. So we are blessed to be a blessing. That's actually the sermon series, as Jeff noted, that we're in, blessed to be a blessing. And today's focus, we're going to examine Lydia, as Jeff already highlighted that. We'll look at her artistic gifts and the way she came into the faith as well. And we'll also talk about our own artistic gifting as well. One of the ways we can discover and begin to understand our own gifting from God and as an example, our artistic gifts is by involving ourselves in the Discovering Your Gifts book and workbook. So there's books back at the uh, welcome table if you still want to pick one up. In the workbook on page 55, it shares, artistic expression involves reflecting one's own thoughts, feelings, and experiences by representing internal visions in external forms. Let that sit with you for a while. Some of us think that we have no artistic gifts. 
But then others of us realize that something that we didn't think that was artistic actually is. Someone was telling me that they thought they had an artistic gift in landscaping. They don't like the maintenance side, they just like the putting the flowers in and decorating and things of that nature. That can be artistic as well. With that in mind, the explanation I have behind me, allow me to share today's focus text regarding Lydia. Jeff already mentioned it's in Acts chapter 16, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open your app to it if you need to do it that way, and we'll go through Acts 16, the reading that was chosen for today, verses 11 through 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed, through the, sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district in Mesopotamia. And we, Macedonia, not Mesopotamia, sorry. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. I messed some of these up, so excuse me. Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let me offer a word of prayer of thanksgiving. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it can be in our lives as it moves us to do your will. I pray this in your name. Amen. So what's going on here in this reading? Is it just that Paul wanted to gather and take time in prayer? Or was it the reading about my inability to properly pronounce biblical geographical areas? Or better yet, to introduce us to Lydia. I'm going with the latter there. That was the focus of this text. I'm going with this blessing from God that introduces us to this woman by the name of Lydia. But before we lift up Lydia and her belief and her artistic gifting, I want to quickly look at the Apostle Paul and how he came to be in that location. So Paul and Lydia's connection kicks off actually in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. Paul's going to the council in Jerusalem, and it's stated near the beginning of 15, if you want to go back and read it. I'm going to touch on that in a moment. Paul and Barnabas are appointed to go to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles and the elders. Uh, basically, the discussion with them is about law and gospel. That's our modern term for it. But who were these elders? Who were these leaders? Who were these apostles? Many scholarly theologians believe this is the Council of Jerusalem, and it's been documented. Most of our Bibles have as a header at chapter 15. It actually notes that Council of Jerusalem. But the individuals that were there are believed to be Peter, James, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, and there were surely more. And this happened in around 50 AD. So this is about 20 years after Jesus rose from the grave and ended up in heaven, praise God. And this is also just uh, before Paul's second missionary trip. 
And by the way, Acts 15 has some challenges regarding law and gospel. Many of you, maybe being lifelong Lutherans, know a lot about the law and the gospel. Martin Luther, uh, some people would say the founder of Lutheranism, in the 1500s wrote extensively about law and gospel. In particular, he touched on this area that's found in Acts 15. The Apostle Paul, before reaching Philippi was connecting and connecting with Lydia, was making the case that neither the Jew or the Gentile needed to be circumcised to be saved. This created tension in the early followers of the way. That's what Christianity was called in that time. It was called the way. And the way as it was understood for many first century Jewish converts was from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, prepare the way for the Lord. And then for the Gentiles uh, converting into the way, Christianity, the text that they focus on the way is from John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, Martin Luther stressed in his writings that both Gentiles and Jews must be justified by faith without any merits or works, but also telling how Gentiles, as well as the Jews, were justified through the gospel alone. Luther was big on sola scriptura, the word of God alone. It wasn't any works righteousness that you may have that's going to get you into heaven. I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. My recollection from my time going from first grade through 12th grade to a Catholic school, we never opened the Bible. Doesn't that sound odd? But back then, in that parish, in that school, that was their deal. But what we were made to think is, what I did allowed me to get to heaven. So the more uh, servant work that I did allowed me to get to heaven. If I was one that gave money or goods, that gave me a quicker ticket in a sense. It wasn't by God's grace. It wasn't by faith alone. And that's what Luther was really about. Grace alone, faith alone, the word alone. With all that in mind, I'm going to share with you in a minute from Acts chapter 15. And we have this blessing here when the leaders of the church wrote to the Gentile believers. Uh, by the way, that would be you and I in this case, the Gentile believers. So a letter was written. I'm going to read parts of it to you. James spoke up. It is in my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them. And then further down, Paul and Barnabas, they chose Judas called I just need a handheld maybe. Thank you, Jeff. Sorry. He's also a great sound tech, if you didn't know that. Am I, am I hot? Actually, the temperature does seem hot in here right now. So I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or air conditioning. Thank you, Jeff. And anyways, we continuing in the reading here. And Silas, men who were leaders among the believers, 
With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Boom, that's it. They didn't say you had to bring a bunch of animals to sacrifice in order to get to heaven. They didn't say you had to bring a bunch of money in order to get to heaven. They're just telling them proper living and having faith. And that's what happened when the uh, apostles, when Paul in particular, ends up going to the people, going to Philippi. He's talking about grace over law. He's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ over man-made rules. So with this letter in hand, Paul is on his way to or through about 11 different locations. I'm so glad you aren't asking me to read all of them. Because some of you are being, boy, this guy really doesn't have these geographical points together. But Paul's traveling. You know that when you look at Scripture, all the missionary work that he did, all the places that he went to and through proclaiming Jesus Christ. The voyage to Macedonia was completed, and now Paul and the other missionaries with him went directly to Neapolis the seaport to Philippi, a major city that was a Roman colony. And that's something to understand. This was a Roman colony. I've always interpreted Paul's strategy in spreading the word of Jesus Christ to go to populated places, not out in the country, but to go to populated places where people are and would have their ears and their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit. And then those people would go out and spread the word even further. So Paul targeted those places where people were already gathered in order for them to be blessed by God, moved by the Holy Spirit, and then they got to go and make disciples, furthering the word of Jesus Christ. So the good news would spread through surrounding territories after Paul would visit them. Paul's strategy was simply an appeal to know Jesus Christ. And oftentimes Paul would talk to the Jewish people first. Sometimes uh, maybe that was his target, if I could use that language. But in Philippi, the, which was a, a distinctly Roman colony, there weren't a lot of Jews there. There just weren't. It wasn't like they had a bunch of Jewish people there and a synagogue already existed, a church already existed. So Paul, as scripture tells us, on the Sabbath, he and others went outside the city gates and went down by the river. So they're by the riverside, hoping to connect with some Jewish believers. And they weren't disappointed. The Bible tells us they found a group of women gathered there. 
And theologians and archaeologists have noted over the centuries that a lot of synagogues, churches were by rivers, by bodies of water. And that's an important point. Even here in America, in the non-urban areas as America was growing, uh, people would have churches near rivers. And think about that for a moment. Many Christians have been baptized in rivers. Many Christians have been baptized in bodies of water, not just at the baptismal font in a church. We know that one of the women that day in Philippi was a woman by the name of Lydia. Historians believe she was named for the region from where she came, also called Lydia. So Lydia was a Gentile from the specific city of Thyatira. Thyatira was in the province of Lydia, which uh, would be considered modern-day Turkey for us, if you can get that picture. And apparently Lydia, as a woman who made her living, she sold purple cloth. So that was a key thing for her, purple goods. Uh, this area of the world at that time was known for this. This was a part of their trade, but this is also part of her artistic expression to do that, to make these purple cloths, to make these purple clothings. Purple dye was understood here in this first century time as uh, something very special and specific. And oftentimes it was only the wealthy or royalty that would have purple. And we see that sometimes even in liturgical colors here in our church. The thought is that Lydia was attracted by the Jewish scriptures. So she was a worshiper of God and a person that was on her way to becoming a believer. But then the Holy Spirit steps in, working through what many argue is a first great missionary, Paul. So when Lydia heard the words of Paul and the other leaders, the other missionaries, she believed and her entire household was baptized. It's a good thing they were down at the river, isn't it? Made it a lot easier for them. Did you notice in verse 15 when we were reading earlier, it said, when she and the members of her household were baptized, baptism uh, not would just include Lydia, but any family members she had, any servants that she had, members of her working staff maybe, they were all baptized. At that time, solidarity was a key to survival. So people did things together. And when your leader, Lydia in this case, came to belief, the people would follow her as well. There's actually five specific examples of families being baptized in the New Testament. Jeff highlighted one of them already. But the five are Cornelius's, as described in Acts chapter 10, Lydia's, Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, as described in Acts 16, Crispus's, as described in Acts 18, and Stephanus, as described in 1 Corinthians 1. All of their families, just not just them, but their families, probably their servants, those in their household, were all baptized. When we think about baptism, we should think about it as a covenant, a promise from God onto us and then us onto him. And a lot of times you have had family members baptized and it's a big celebration. A lot of people gather. My wife, Sarah, went to Southern California first before going to Arizona, went to Southern California because our grandnephew was being baptized. About 50 family members were there for it. What a blessing it was that all of those people gathered to see God at work 
in and through the waters of baptism. Scripture tells us that Lydia, so moved by her newfound faith, invites Paul and his fellow workers, other missionaries, into her home. We understand that she had some financial uh, blessings, so she had her own home. We understand possibly she was a widow as well. But this is a key blessing. Paul now has a home base in Philippi so he can go out and do the mission work of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't have to work at this time. He doesn't have to worry about shelter. He doesn't have to worry about food. And he's probably wearing purple clothing too. But he had this blessing of Lydia and her resources so that he could then go out and be a blessing to other people. She, Lydia, was a blessing to the early church, due in part to her, her artistic ability, but also her financial security, her, her generosity that she had to be able to bless others now in Jesus' name. And in part, this description of Lydia doing the work that she was doing, supporting Paul, spreading the word of Jesus Christ, is what you, the body of Christ, Faith Lutheran does. You plant churches, you help plant churches. And that's what Lydia was doing, helping plant churches by supporting Paul, the missionary who's going out. And it's always the prayer that the churches that Faith plants will then plant other churches as well and bless many other people. By the way, I'm blessed uh, to meet with John each week. John's the president of this congregation. This past week, I highlighted to him the challenge of preaching uh, a lengthy sermon on Lydia. So let me do a quick wrap up and give you some more info too. Uh, Lydia was one of the first and few females mentioned in the Bible to become a Christian and also a Christian leader due to her support, in particular, of Paul and the missionaries. She's wealthy, a businesswoman, a homeowner. She's a widow. She's one of the first to have her entire household baptized, as I noted already, by providing her home as a base of establishment for Paul and the Philippian church. She was able to bless many other people. So she was part of being a church builder. She's a believer. She worships God. She prays. She puts her money where her mouth is. She helped build the body of Christ, while at the same time sharing the love of God with other people. She is, by definition, what many would say is a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of the Savior of the world. She is, by example, what we should all desire to be within our own gifting, to know what gifts we have artistic gifts or otherwise, and be able to bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we bless the kingdom of God as well. Some of you know what your artistic gifts are. Some of us are still struggling to understand what they are. But no matter where you are in your gift spectrum, please know this, that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit love you. Would you bow your head in prayer? Jesus, you have blessed us to be a blessing. You blessed Lydia with a gift of artistic work, and more importantly, you blessed her with faith. Continue to bless each of us with gifts that can glorify you, and continue to bless us with a growing faith in you. 
Lord, in your mercy.